Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. We all love gifts, don't we? Something that's universally true. We all love, whether you're the, the giver or the recipient, we all love gifts. In fact, some of my favorite moments as a parent are when we give our kids gifts, whether it's their birthdays or Christmas or other random times, especially when it's something that they've really been looking forward to and asking a lot about. You know, the look of joy and elation on their face is very satisfying as a parent. Um, In fact, just recently at the beginning of lockdown, we got our kids a long-awaited trampoline. They'd been asking for it for years, and they finally got it because we realized we got to have some way for them to burn off all this energy during lockdown. And it was a lot of work to put together, but boy, was it worth it. Just the joy on their faces and their gratitude, it was one of those moments that you love as a parent. And I'm sure you can think of moments yourselves where you've either received a gift that you're really excited about or you've given a gift and, to somebody that was really meaningful and you've seen the joy and the elation on their faces. I just think we all love giving gifts. It's one of the good things in life, right? Well, why do I bring that up? Well, do you know that God has given us an awesome gift? I don't know if you caught it in the scripture reading for today. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus said this, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. These were some of Jesus' last instructions to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. And he's saying, hey, don't leave Jerusalem until the gift comes. Now, what do you give to this fledgling group of Jesus followers? What what do you give them that would be meaningful? Well, Jesus describes it this way in verse 5. He says, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the gift that God gave to that fledgling group of Jesus followers, and it's the gift that he gives to you and to me. Now, in case you haven't figured it out yet, today is Pentecost Sunday. And, you know, Pentecost is one of those celebrations, it's a liturgical celebration that you've probably heard the, 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 the phrase at times, but, but it's not one that we celebrate widely in our culture. It's not like Christmas or Easter, you know, Christmas has sort of some of the warm fuzzies of the nativity and Easter has the triumph of the resurrection. And Pentecost is, you know, kind of comes in third. We don't really talk about it very much. And to be fair, it is a somewhat strange story. And so I think we kind of skip over it because we're not sure what to do with it. But I I think that's such a tragedy because Pentecost is such a beautiful expression of God's love for us. And so this morning, I want to dig into some of the historical and the cultural context and help us understand this gift that God has given us. Now, in Acts chapter 2, Luke, who is the, the author of the book of Acts, tells us the story. And he begins in verse 1. He says this, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. All the believers. Who were they? Well, as we find out later that it's about 120 people that were gathered together in that room. And it's kind of amazing to me that Jesus, after all of his three years of ministry and all the crowds that he attracted, was, this, this was who was left. 120 people. 
But with these 120 people, he would change the world. And Pentecost, you know, that's kind of a strange phrase. We don't obviously use it except in relation to this day. But it comes from, it's the Greek word that describes the Jewish festival of Savot. Now, Savot is described in the Old Testament as the festival of weeks. Now, that's a strange term. What is that about? Well, Shavuot occurs 50 days after Passover. So, seven weeks and one day. And that's where we get Pentecost from. It's the Greek word for 50th. And it's one of the, Shavuot is one of the three um, pilgrimage uh, festivals that happen every year, where the Jews would make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem to present themselves before the Lord. So that's why we have all these nations present on the day of Pentecost. There's all these, not just people from Israel making their way to Jerusalem, but Jews living throughout the world. All the diaspora are coming back home, making a special pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be there for Shavuot. And that's why there's 15 different nations mentioned in uh, Luke's account of Pentecost. In fact, I imagine there were many more there, but all these people were pilgrims that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival together. It'd be a festival much like Christmas or Easter for us, a national holiday. Now, Shavuot celebrated two things. First of all, Shavuot celebrated the grain harvest, okay? So as, when Passover concluded, that really began the harvest season where they would harvest barley and wheat. Now, Israel was obviously an agrarian nation. They were dependent on their crops both for food and for income, so the harvest was really important to them. And what they would do during the, the harvest season is they would take the first ripening uh, fruits or, the, or grains and they would set them apart. And they would, when they uh, brought the harvest in, they would take these first fruits and they would bring them with them when they went up to Jerusalem as an offering that they would present at the temple to, as, as an offering of gratitude and thanksgiving and worship to God for a successful harvest. So Shavuot was about the celebration of the grain harvest, but it was also about the giving God's gift of the Torah to Israel. It celebrates God's gift of the Torah. Now, that's when, when God gave Israel its laws, its commands. You probably are familiar with the Ten Commandments. That's part of the Torah. But it's difficult for us, unless you're Jewish, to understand how vital, how, how precious the Torah is. Um, the Torah was God's covenant with the nation of Israel. It was when God really inaugurated Israel as its own nation. And, and the, people, uh, the Jewish people uh, revere the Torah because it's God's word to them. No longer do they have to guess about what God is wanting from them. They have it revealed to them. And, and you'll see in, in, in Jewish religious celebrations, even on Sabbath celebrations every week in the synagogue, when they pull out the Torah, the scrolls, there's rejoicing, there's celebration. It's a moment of, 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 of celebration every week when they pull out the Torah to read from it. So this is something that the Torah is everything to the Jews. And Shavuot, Jewish tradition, believes that, that it was on Shavuot that God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. So that's the cultural background of this Pentecost festival. And I just want you to hang on to that information for a minute because we're going to circle back around and see why that's significant in helping us understand the beauty of Pentecost. 
But I also want to think about, I want us to consider where these 120 believers must have been at and what they were thinking at this time. Because remember, they'd been following Jesus around they, uh, during his three years of ministry, and they came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, the very, that, that he was God in the flesh, and that he had come to deliver Israel. And then they'd seen him brutally murdered and crucified. And then to everybody's surprise, they had seen him alive again. And he'd come and, and, and proved to him that he was in fact alive and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And then he ascended into heaven. And some of his final instructions before he ascended into heaven is this verse that we looked at earlier. He said, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. <laughs> Jesus told them, hey, I, got, I want you guys to hang out here. Don't leave just wait, just hang out here in Jerusalem until the gift comes. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell them how long that's going to be. I wonder what they must have thought. You know, they thought maybe it'll be a week, maybe it'll be a month. I, I don't know, but, but, but they started waiting. One week goes by, two weeks goes by, three weeks goes by, four weeks goes by, and, and people are beginning to wonder, when is this gift going to come? Because I've got to go back. Most of these people are from Galilee. They want to go back home. They want to carry on their business, and yet Jesus has told them, wait here for the gift. And they didn't know if it was going to be a month or two months or six months or a year or a decade. They just were in this place of waiting. And I think we can relate to this maybe a bit more than ever before thanks to current circumstances with the lockdown. We're now in our 11th week of lockdown and we're experiencing a very similar sense of uncertainty. We don't know when this thing is really going to get back to normal. And so I think we can understand maybe the, the frustration they might have been feeling, the, the, the questioning. You know, it's easy to read this passage and not really think about it, but these guys were experiencing such uncertainty, they had no idea what was coming their way. They didn't know that it was going to happen on Shavuot. They were just waiting like Jesus told them to wait. And that's the point that I want you to catch this morning, is that sometimes following God means waiting. Sometimes you know what God's called you to do. You know what, what it is that, 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 that you're called to carry out, but, but sometimes the timing isn't right, and sometimes you might know what to do, but God says, hey, I want you to wait. I want you to pause. And that's what we're in right now. We're in a moment of cultural pause, right? But sometimes that's how God works. And, and, and so that's what these people did. They, they chose to obey and to wait for God. And boy, was it worth the wait. Luke picks up the story in verse 2. And he says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven. And, you know, I love the suddenlies in the Bible. Several times throughout the, path, the, the scripture, you find these suddenlies where God suddenly intervenes in the course of everyday life, where God suddenly disrupts the status quo, where God uh, miraculously changes everything, and where before everything was as it has been, and then suddenly God breaks through and everything is different going forward. I always feel like that's such a hopeful point for us as believers. You know, we can be praying for things for weeks and months and years and, and, and be waiting for God to move and nothing seems to be changing but all we need is a suddenly, and then everything changes. Well, these 120 believers got there suddenly 
on Pentecost Sunday. And so he continues, he says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. You gotta imagine this, right? They're, they're sitting there, and, and there's this sudden sound that they, don't, they can't figure out where it's coming from. And, and it sounds like a, a roaring windstorm. Imagine that. You know, we have these gales that blow through the UK sometimes, and you've heard the wind just howling through the trees and the valleys of, of our area. Or, or I think of it, it might have sounded something like a jet engine, you know? Just this roaring sound that they'd never heard before. I honestly think it must have been pretty terrifying. And if that wasn't enough, look at what happened next. It says, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. So they go from hearing this roaring sound, and now there are these these apparitions that look like little flames of fire that appear. Now, these guys, we might not be as impressed with that. You know, we've seen computer graphics and things like that, but they didn't have anything like that at that that time. So they're hearing this roar and then these flames of fire appear. And I just wonder how terrified they must have been. And I wonder when their terror shifted to rejoicing when they realized, oh, this is the gift that Jesus talked about. And I love how it says that these flames of fire settled on each one of them each one of them, not just the men, but the men and the women and the teenagers and the children that had to be there. The Holy Spirit rests on each of them. And Luke continues, and he says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit has come. This gift has finally arrived. And one of the first manifestations of that is that everybody starts speaking in other languages. This is the first instance in the Bible where we read about speaking in tongues. Now, let's just be honest. Speaking in tongues is a bit weird at first glance. Most people are uncomfortable with speaking in tongues, and I think that's one of the reasons that we're uncomfortable with this story, because we don't really know what to do with this whole idea. But Luke does, gives us some context here, and he goes on to say this. He says, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. So he's talking about the pilgrims who had come into Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot. And when they heard the loud noise, because apparently everybody could hear this kind of jet engine windstorm thing, and they knew that there wasn't an actual windstorm, so they all come out to say, what is that noise? Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, that's up in the northern part of Israel, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So you got to imagine this. So these people had gone from, you know, they get this this, this wind, this, this roaring sound, and then they get these flames of fire, and suddenly they're given the ability to speak a language that they have never learned or studied for themselves. Now imagine that. You know, most of us have studied languages in school, you know, French or Spanish or Italian or something. 
And you know how it is. It's, it's pretty tedious. It's learning like uh, how to conjugate verbs. It's learning, how to mem- it's learning to memorize vocabulary and learning the genders of different nouns. And it's, it's, it's tedious, right? Most of us don't enjoy learning another language. But imagine suddenly being able to speak another language effortlessly. You can suddenly speak Arabic. You can suddenly speak Japanese or Russian or Hindi. Or you can suddenly speak Geordie or uh, a Scouse. Just kidding. We love you, everybody from Newcastle and Liverpool. But imagine that. You don't have to study. All of a sudden, you can speak these languages effortlessly. That's what happened on this day. And I think it's such a, a beautiful thing because I, I think God is demonstrating his love for these people because language is not a barrier anymore. See, remember, if you think back to the broader context of Scripture, in, in Genesis chapter 11, we read the account of the Tower of Babel. These people had come together they, to build this enormous tower, and it was seen as a rebellion against God. And so God stepped in and he supernaturally says that he confused their languages. So they went to bed. Everybody was speaking one language at that time. And they went to bed speaking the same language. And when they woke up, they were all speaking different languages. And so when they talked to one another, it just sounded like they were babbling. And so hence the name, the Tower of Babel. And, 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 and as a result, the, the people were divided and scattered. But now on Pentecost... God pours out his spirit and reverses what happened at the Tower of Babel with another miracle. And instead of scattering people, people, the people, the nations of the earth are now united into one nation, one people of God. It's such a, see, our, 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 it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a demonstration of God's love for us that language isn't a barrier anymore. And I love that in Christianity, you know, it's not associated with, with Greek or Aramaic or Hebrew or any of those ancient languages. You see, uh, the, the, the gospel can be communicated in any language because God wants every tribe and tongue and nation to know him and to, and to experience the goodness of God. So as these people are listening to these, the, the, these believers declare the goodness of God in their own languages, they're just marveling at this. But, but some people are a little freaked out by it, as often happens when somebody's speaking in tongues. They don't know what to do with it, so they begin to jeer and they begin to mock. And they say, ah, oh, these people, they're drunk. That's what's going on. And then Peter, Peter <laughs> recognizes what's going on. And at this moment, he steps into his role as the leader of the early church. He steps out of the shame of his denial of Jesus that had happened less than two months before, and he steps into his role as the leader of the early church, and he begins to preach the first sermon. And we don't have time to walk through that sermon, but I'll just summarize what he says. He explains, first of all, what this speaking in tongues thing is all about, how all these people can suddenly speak these languages. And he refers back to the prophet Joel, who hundreds of years before said, God's going to pour out his spirit on all mankind, and there's going to be signs and wonders. And this is one of those signs that makes you wonder. (laughs) 
And then he talks about Jesus and he explains to them who Jesus was, that he was the long-awaited Messiah and that he'd been crucified and then he'd risen from the dead. And then he calls them to repent and be baptized. And Peter's sermon was so powerful, that, that so anointed by God's spirit that people responded to it. And, and, and uh, Acts tells us that he, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three thousand in all. That's a good day at church. And this is the day that the church was born. And what we're doing here this morning is just a continuation of what started on that very first Pentecost. Wherever you're watching here this morning, we're just carrying on what began on that first day. That's the power of Pentecost. And, and, I, and I don't want you to miss that. See, this timing wasn't, the, 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 the timing of Pentecost was not an accident. Remember, Pentecost occurred on Shavuot. There's a reason why that happened because God wanted us to have a deeper understanding of what was transpiring the day, that significance of what was going on. Remember, Shavuot was all about the, the giving of the law, giving the Torah to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. And you remember, he, this was really inaugurating Israel as a nation. It was God's covenant with his people. And it's this beautiful thing. But all throughout the Old Testament, God hints that there is a new covenant coming. There's something amazing that's coming that, that, that even is better than this covenant. There's something coming that, that is even better than the Torah. And so uh, in God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, he gets quoted in Hebrews. He says this, he says, but this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. Do you get what's happening here? Remember Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he had the last supper with his disciples and at one point he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant between God and man. And now it's been inaugurated. Here on the day of Pentecost, the new covenant has begun. And instead of the law being inscribed on stone, and written in scrolls. The law is now written on our hearts and our minds. And instead, of, and, and instead of us knowing about God, now we get to know him. We get to have a relationship with him. And instead of God's dwelling being in a temple or a tabernacle, God's dwelling is in our hearts. You see, this is a new covenant. It, it changes everything about how we relate to God. And just to emphasize this connection a little bit more, we have the 3,000 people who are saved. You know, what is that just an arbitrary number? Well, no. If you remember, when Moses was given the Torah on Mount Sinai, it was actually a, a, a day of national tragedy because the day that he received the Torah, he came down from Mount Sinai, Sinai to discover the people of Israel uh, uh, had forsaken God. They created a golden calf that they were worshiping. And, and as he beheld the, 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 the pandemonium and the debauchery that was going on, he was 
furious with this nation because they just thought, well, Moses is gone. He'd been up on the mountain for a long time. And they just thought, well, we better just figure out a new way forward and we better come up with a, a whole new God. And so this is, they forsook the God that had rescued them from Egypt and they began bowing down to this idol. And Moses sent out some of the priests to punish the people who were involved in leading this rebellion. And it says that 3,000 people died that day. But on Pentecost, God reverses this national tragedy that should have been a day of great joy of God consummating his covenant with Israel. Instead, it was a day of national tragedy. But on Pentecost, God reverses that. And instead of 3,000 people dying, 3,000 people are born again. And they are the first fruits of the great harvest that continues to this very day. That's what Pentecost is all about. Now, you might be sitting there this morning and thinking, well, Todd, you know, I, I, that's, that's great historical information, and now I understand a little bit more, but what does this have to do with me today? Well, there's two groups of people that I want to speak to before we close, and first of all, if you're listening to this this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you've tuned in, and, and, and your question is probably the very same question that those people who are listening to Peter's first sermon had. It tells us this in verse 37, Acts 2, 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Maybe that's your question this morning. What do I do? Peter answers him directly. He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away. What is that saying? Well, Peter is saying that to follow Jesus, there's a forsaking of the old life that must happen. You've got to turn and return. Turn away from the things that you know displease God and turn towards God himself. Turn towards the things that you know are pleasing to him. And that takes humility. That takes swallowing your pride to, to admit, you know what, I, I, I don't have it all together. I need a savior. I need somebody to rescue me. I need, to, I need God in my life. And then he talks about being baptized. What, that, what is that about? Well, baptism is a, is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. It's demonstrating that the old life is gone and the new life has come. And it's also a public declaration of our faith. But don't miss the implication here. Is it's also, there's an implication of church and community. You see, you can't baptize yourself. You want to be connected with other followers of Jesus. And that's how Christianity is meant to be lived. You see, it's not meant to be lived in isolation. Christianity is meant to be lived in community. And that's the context of baptism is you're doing it with people. You're being baptized in the, with people that you're living out your faith with. Now, I realize that's tricky in the midst of lockdown, but I want to encourage you to connect to uh, some of our life groups here in the church or maybe where you're at, wherever you're watching this. Find a community that you can connect with to help you live out your faith. And when this is all said and done, then you can be baptized. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. And what's so beautiful about the Holy Spirit is that we're not alone. 
The Holy Spirit comes and he dwells within us and so that whatever we face, whatever we go through in this life, we know that God is with us and he will never forsake us. And that's such a pro- encouraging, hopeful uh, promise for us to hang on to. Secondly, I want to speak to those who are followers of Jesus. You know, what do you do with a message like this? Hopefully, you're more thankful and a greater recognition of what the Holy Spirit is all about. But, you know, if you're like me, maybe you've grown up in, in a church or been in a context where the Holy Spirit isn't discussed very much. I mean, the church I grew up in, we talked about this sort of alternative trinity, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. <laughs> But that's not what it's meant to be. It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that all of us, there's, there's a greater sense of God's Spirit moving in and through our lives that we all need to be the kind of witnesses that we're called to be. When I was in university, I experienced this for myself. I, I came to a point in time where I was really desperate for more of God and, and, and I encountered the Holy Spirit in a way that just changed my life forever. I was filled with more joy and more peace, more a sense of God's presence and a greater sense of being able to to be a witness for him. And that's what Jesus promised. He said, when the power uh, comes over you, you will be my witnesses throughout the earth. So maybe your prayer today is, God, I need more of your spirit. Come and wash over me. Come and fill me. Come and remove everything that hinders the flow of your spirit in my life. Fill me afresh today, Father. So as we close today, our band is going to lead us in a closing song of worship. And wherever you're at this morning, I want you to embrace one of those two prayers. Maybe you need to just say, God, I need you. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. Fill me with your spirit. Or maybe you just say, Father, thank you for this gift. Lord, would you fill me afresh with your spirit? Lord, I want more of your spirit in my life. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.